Hey, friends, and welcome to another episode of Burnt Out to Badass. It is my absolute honor today to have Rebecca Fleetwood Hessen with us. She is a writer, speaker. Her company is We Thrive.Live. Her podcast and her book are Write Your Own Story, and she is for sure a fellow badass with the rest of us. So we're going to get into today's conversation and get into her amazing story in burnout and through and the healing she had. Rebecca, it's great to have you here on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. All right. Tell those people out in the podcasting world a little bit about yourself and the magic you put into the universe. Ooh. Well, I am an executive coach and a keynote speaker. I published a book last this past year called Write Your Own Story, Three Keys to Rise and Thrive as a Badass Career Woman. So we are in good company here together. I spent about 20 years with the Franklin Covey organization before starting my own business. So leadership development and career conversations have been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. I love it. And take us back to those moments when you finally realized you were dealing with burnout. You know, I write about it in my book, actually. I at Franklin Covey was a top performer, as I know all of your listeners are as well, those high achievers who are willing to do whatever it takes to meet goals. And I sure as hell did do whatever it took, no matter how many hours I needed to work, no matter what, I always hit my goals. In fact, I sold $35 million for that organization while I was raising two kids, finishing my college degree, married, house, dogs, all the things. And for someone that hadn't been sick hardly ever, very healthy, I'm a runner, I work out, I eat well, I found myself at home with two months of pneumonia. Couldn't leave the house except to go to the doctor. It was the middle of the winter and I was just in this place of burnout. Didn't know that's what it was at first. But it gave me the two months of reflection time that then led me to the awareness that I was in burnout because we move so quickly as high achievers that we don't even make the space to listen to ourselves. And that's what had happened to me. My own voice had been drowned out until I had this sickness reflection time to recognize it as such. You know, that's such a common thread. I've heard that from fellow physicians that I've worked with, other executives, lawyers, engineers, who they were not going to let themselves stop and their body made them come to a screeching halt. Yep. You know, what's interesting about it is when I first got sick, the diagnosis in the beginning was the flu and I was really sick. But I continued to jump on emails and try to, you know, kind of keep caught up, which I make fun of that statement in my book that caught up isn't a place. And when I got the pneumonia, so it went flu, bronchitis, pneumonia was my trajectory over that, that two months. And it wasn't until the pneumonia diagnosis where my company, my colleagues, and, and even myself was willing to say, okay, that's enough. It was almost like 
the diagnosis had to be bad enough not to check in. Absolutely. You know, and that's something I have to remind my patients all the time is there's no legitimizing leave. I'm your doctor. If I say you need to be off, then you get to be off. But I think in our culture, it's, you know, we're so interconnected. People's expectations are so high and our own personal expectations are so high. Hell, I was just talking to a friend yesterday. She's a family doc over in Illinois. She's got COVID. She has managed to not get COVID until now, the end of 2022. And she's like, Aaron, I, I feel so bad. Like, and I had to remind her, I was like, it's okay to be sick. It's okay to take yeah. rest. You've done such a good job for your body. And yes, you got this virus now, but it can, you know, we totally know what we're dealing with and handling with it. And I think it's those, those expectations of like, but what do I do if I'm not moving? We almost don't know how to be with ourselves. A hundred percent. Yeah. So ta you talked a little bit about what things look like on the outside with home, you had your shit together, you were, you know, bringing home the bacon. How did it feel on the inside for you, though? What was fascinating about that two months, once I leaned into it, at first I was, oh, I'll be better tomorrow, keep checking in. And then as I got worse and worse, I finally just completely shut everything down because I was so sick, I was scared. And once I was so sick, I was scared. That allowed me to start listening to my own inner voice, what I call our inner thrive guide. And in that time of no longer checking in, I no longer had that connection to where I was valuable and contributing. Now I was asking for help. Neighbors were taking my kids to activities because I couldn't leave the house. People were bringing me food in because I was that sick. My nine-year-old daughter was making egg sandwiches for dinner. I mean, we were in this place of not only was I no longer contributing in any way, I was being served instead of the one serving. And that was a huge wake-up call for me that... I wasn't sure I knew who I was without my sales goal, without my connections to the work. And it led me down this exploration of who I was in that moment. It was very introspective. It was very spiritual. It was very scary, quite frankly. And the biggest day was when I started feeling good enough that I could shower and kind of be up for a minute. Like I was so sick, y'all, that I told my son one day he could rent any movie he wanted as long as he woke me up in between each one because I was so sick. I thought, what if I go to sleep and don't wake up? And I didn't, of course, say that to him, but it was really scary. And once I got past that point where I was like, okay, I was each day feeling a little bit better. I got up one day and kids went off to school and I showered, which felt like the biggest accomplishment <laughs> in the, that two months was to have a day where I could shower. And I was so curious about myself in, in this time of reflection that I went and I got my stack of journals from, uh, there was probably eight, nine years worth of journals out of my nightstand. And I read them all back to back in one sitting. 
And what I read and what I heard about my life in that experience was so profound because what I realized was I was living in this kind of groundhog's day, but over a year's period of time, like a lot of everything's going to be okay. And then it just would sink down and it wasn't okay. And try harder, be positive. And as my career grew and I was constantly doing more with my career, I was losing a little bit more of my hopes and dreams in that process. It was like the career Rebecca who was serving her organization was growing, but who I was at my core, my soul was shrinking. And I thought, it doesn't have to be that way, right? Like you don't sacrifice one for the other. That just seems wrong. And so it it took me down this place of exploring, well, who am I? And what are my gifts and talents? And what of those gifts and talents am I still using in the job that I have? And and which of those are being are just stagnant now because my current job doesn't allow me to use them. There was so much self-reflection. And I realized at the end of that time of reading my journals that I was stuck. And while everything looked like it was progressing from a career perspective, I was in a 18 year marriage that had never was never going to work. You know, from the outside, I lived on a 23 acre estate with two kids, two dogs. It was the most gorgeous place most people had ever seen, myself included. But on, on the inside, we were struggling. We were struggling with knowing who we were and really honoring that. And I knew when I left that experience that I needed to make changes, big changes, that if I was going to live a life authentically for who I was, that I was going to have to be the one to make the change. It wasn't, nobody was going to come knocking on my door and say, today's the day, Rebecca, you get your soul back. (laughs) I was going to have to do that for myself. And that was a profound shift in my life. Absolutely. A lot of times I ask guests, is this a eureka moment or a dark night of a soul? And it sounds like you kind of had both of those experiences. Yeah, I think partly because one of my gifts and talents as I now help others realize their own unique gifts and talents is I am annoyingly optimistic. I can I can find the silver lining in just about anything. And while that is a great gift, like many of our gifts, they they can become a negative, right? And so I had learned to just polish anything up and make it better. And that was part of the problem is I was just constantly thinking, well, next year will be better and next year will be better. And I'll read another book on how to fix it and and I'll try harder. And I just got to that point where I realized I was working on the wrong things. Yeah. So walk us through more on that journey. You were healing both physically with your body and your immune system. And also you were starting to come through your stuckness. What happened next? So I unraveled this tangled yarn of my life one bit at a time. When I started thinking about what I needed to change, the first thing I thought was, I'll just get a new job because that's our default is the work is going to be the thing that makes things better and brings the change that we want. 
And as I let myself reflect on what would that entail, I realized, okay, so at the time I was, you know, the breadwinner of the family living on a 23 acre estate in a not so great marriage, changing jobs just probably would bring even more stress. <laughs> so maybe that wasn't the right approach. Well, then maybe we sell the house or maybe, and I just finally got to the tough decision where I said, I need to release myself and my now ex-husband from this marriage because we were both just almost killing each other trying to stay together. And not in a physical sense, but in a losing ourselves sense. I had this pneumonia. He had just been diagnosed with high blood pressure in his early 40s. We were just trying so hard to make something work that was never going to work, that we were no longer able to be ourselves. And I thought, you know what, the the weirdest, worst, kindest thing I can do is be the one courageous enough to call it. And so I started out by, I went to see a, a new therapist. The therapy wasn't new to my life, but a new therapist. And talk to her about this thought that I had, and she kind of helped me sort it out. And so I started out and I asked for a divorce and got through that horrific process. Um, Anybody that's ever been through a divorce knows no matter if you're the one asking for it or not, it sucks bad for everyone. And then I said to myself, once we get on the other side of that, if I want to sell the house, I can. And then if I want to change my job, I can. And so I stayed in my house for about a year and a half and then I sold it and downsized and said, okay, if I get in the new house and still want to change my job, I will, which is what happened. So over a period of about four years, four to five years, I unraveled and rebuilt my entire life. Yeah. And I love how you summed it up when I had asked your questions before the this interview that you said, it's a daily dance of street fight and stillness with myself and my emotions. <laughs> I That's feel that it. to my soul. <laughs> it's so true. What that time in reflection really helped me recognize was don't wait for the pneumonia diagnosis. When we put daily stillness into our lives, we can get the reflection we need to guide us forward in 10 to 30 minutes a day. We don't have to wait until we're so overwhelmed and overcome with burnout that we've got two months of it to do and unravel it all at once. So I, I every morning I sit in stillness and let myself hear my own thoughts and my own emotions and my own feelings, no matter what those are, and just honor them for the day. You know, I think that's so important as super high achievers is we get moving and ramping up. I used to tell people I have to burn off the top 10% before I can like really settle into my work for the day. And I've found that as well is just what I call daily rest. I'd love to hear some suggestions for the folks that are listening. What could daily stillness look like from your perspective? Yeah. And it's one of the things I teach with all of my clients as a coach. And it's so funny at first, they dread it, are scared of it. It's it's so funny. It's free and it doesn't require anything but to be still. But it's like I ask them to run a marathon every day. And then they report that it's the most beneficial thing they they've ever done once they get through the, you know, detox of being busy all the time. So I start them out with just 10 minutes. 
I say, you know what? 10 minutes is going to feel like an eternity. And I need you to make that commitment to yourself and to me that you are going to honor that 10 minutes. So some of my clients are, you know, working moms with little kids. And I say, you know, I don't care if you have to fake intestinal issues and get your 10 minutes with the bathroom door closed and and (laughs) just sit on the toilet with your journal. I don't care how you get it. But 10 minutes. Sometimes I'll recommend things. My favorite one is to start with what I call the mug hug which is, you know, oftentimes we start a day with coffee or tea or something warm and, and warm and fuzzy and feels good. And I say, you know what, just take that 10 minutes and feel the mug in your hand, smell the coffee, feel your butt in the chair, breathe, just have 10 minutes of an experience where you are feeling your body, feeling your breath and just ground yourself. And that is usually the best place to start because we're so accustomed to just jumping up and getting at the day that we don't have a space to just be. So that can be the the, the starting place for a lot of folks. I love that. And then that. you can move into things like journaling, guided meditations, whatever. I, I really try to craft a strategy with my clients based on who they already are and help them find something that's going to work for their personality. I think that's so important because I do the exact same thing is it has to be individualized. So I've been incorporating mindfulness, daily rest, daily stillness for about five years. And I honestly can say I haven't felt like I had really, quote unquote, figured my brain out until this past July. And so what happened was we moved onto Wiseman Farms and I would get a lawn chair out, put it on our hill, look down the hill to hundreds of acres of Wiseman Farms and just sit. And that felt right. And then the end of or beginning of August, we actually adopted a pack of alpacas. And so now my daily stillness time is to go hang out with my animals. I even find it very meditative, sweeping the barn and like smelling the smells and hearing the brush on the concrete and hearing the alpaca. They hum, by the way, Mm -hmm. like that. that. So listening to them hum and humming back to them. And the other thing, too, for working moms, one thing that I've started to do is actually incorporate my kid into, we call it rest time. And what we do is we pile all of our pillows and our blanket on our king-size bed. And I tell everybody, okay, we're going to just snuggle in, and we're just going to lay here, and we're going to feel the covers, and we're going to listen to each other breathe. And I'm telling you, it has been so fun. Now, of course, we can't always do it. We get chatty or giggly. But I have to say, in the mornings, I still pile up all my pillows and blankets, or I'll make my bed. There's nothing better than a made bed to lay on top of and do the exact same thing. And so I think it really is. It is finding, like, what's your fit when it comes to rest? And passing that on to our kids, I agree, is so profound. We've got to break this cycle of achievement being the path to success, because that's that's how we got to this place get home and and that that was the worst hour of the day. I'm tired, they're tired, they everybody wants dinner. It was like, you know, everybody's cranky. And so I started implementing a bit of a break right there. And so <laughs> I would sit them down with a snack and a drink and I and and SpongeBob was was at, at the time their thing. And I would say, "You know what? We're going to have 
two SpongeBob episode break. And I put them in front of the TV. I would either go get in a bubble bath or do a power nap or walk on the treadmill, whatever my body needed based on how the day was. And everybody knew that that was the break time. And then once we came out of that, then everybody was rested and they'd had their snack and then I could make dinner and we could have a much better conversation. And it was so profound for them that they started asking for breaks and stillness time and not being, you know, just recognizing that their bodies needed it. I can remember one time my son had a bunch of boys over and they were all in the basement playing video games and, you know, being rambunctious boys. And he comes up the stairs after it had been a while. And he said, I need you to make them go home now. (laughs) And I said, you done? He said, yeah, I need a break. And I said, okay. And that was it. I was like, okay, boys, time to go home. But our kids being able to acknowledge when they need a break, I think is one of the greatest gifts that we can pass along. Yeah. We've started doing that too, trying to recognize overstimulation mm-hmm. and saying like, how does your body feel right now? You're yelling at your sister. That doesn't seem like a good thing. And I've noticed a difference in my boys too. And they've they like, yeah, we play too much games, mom. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing. I didn't do a uh, like you get so much time. It was always based on your, how you felt and your behavior. Cause my son with ADHD video game time was helped to get focused. And I just helped him read his body and his signs to know when enough was enough. I would love to hear what do you want listeners to really in their hearts know, and then do after hearing us talk today? The thing I want people to know is that you already have everything that you need to thrive right here, right now, in this moment. You don't have to go learn it or get it or achieve something to be worthy of it. This external validation of ourselves is a big miss in our work and our education. And once you know that, that you're not out searching to be worthy and you're not out searching to to thrive, then you can honor what's inside more than what's outside. So the way that you get to what's inside is in that daily reflection that we're talking about. And to listen to that voice, what I call your inner thrive guide, she knows what's best for you more than your boss or your mom or your colleague or your anybody else. The one that knows you best is that inner voice and spend time with her and let her be the guide that you need. I love it. Tell everybody how they can find you, hang out with you more, because I know there are folks who need what you have to offer. Oh, thank you. I would love that. Community building is one of my superpowers. So I also have a podcast called Write Your Own Story. I have a book that you can get on Amazon or on my website, which is wethrive.live. And I do executive coaching. I run an experience every year called Rise and Thrive, an elite experience for seven women to go through together uh, to build that community and help ban burnout. And of course, on all the social channels, Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, you can find me. I love it, friend. Well, Rebecca, the badass in me honors the badass in you. Oh, I love that. I love it. Thanks for having me. This was fun. 
Thanks for hanging with me here on Burnt Out to Badass. Are you ready to get more than what the podcast has? Well, I want to tell you, I have an online course, same name, Burnt Out to Badass with Dr. Aaron Wiseman, that you can do all on your own. I love it because you learn all the important shit that they didn't teach us in graduate school. How to rest and recover properly. Harnessing your perfectionism and using it as a superpower. Eliminating jealousy, insecurity, and the grass is always greener mentality. You get help with conquering imposter syndrome, establishing clear boundaries and sticking to them, and overcoming your overwhelm. It's 12 jam-packed modules of this online course that you can move through at your own pace and can refer back to as much as you want to. The other great thing is, is you'll join the Badass Slack group, and I will be in my DMs for any question, comments, or chitty chat. Can't wait to see you in there. The Badass in Me honors the Badass in You.